May be seated. Are we okay after the organ explosion? By my calculations, it will happen during my sermon, so if I jump or yell, I apologize. So um, uh, we're in this Christmas season, this Advent season. Our series is um, an honest Christmas. Well, we're being honest about the story of the birth of Christ and what that means for us here and now. And and if I'm honest with you, and you might be able to be honest about this too, following Jesus is difficult. It really is. Now, I wholeheartedly affirm that we are saved by grace through faith, that the only thing you or I bring to our salvation is our sin, is our brokenness, and Christ gives us his perfection and his righteousness. But the day-to-day living, following Jesus Christ, being his disciple, it's difficult. The more I read the scriptures, the more I read church history, the more life I experience, I find myself many times going, Jesus, this is hard. (laughs) I don't always want to follow him. And today we are talking about this honest unease. Our our second passage we read this morning, I'm going to read it for us again. When Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is not one of those passages that you see in flowery texts on a coffee mug or at a woman's uh, uh, retreat uh, uh, for the weekend. This is, this is the heart of Jesus' teachings. And it's very polarizing. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But we need to back up a little bit to understand the context of this. In Matthew 16, 21, Jesus begins laying out for his disciples what's going to happen in the future, that he's going to go to Jerusalem, that he's going to suffer under the hands of the religious and political leaders, that he's indeed going to die, and he's going to rise from, raise from the dead. Now, put yourself in the shoes of his disciples. You've been following him faithfully for years. You've, you've left everything behind. You have nowhere else to go. There it is. We good. All right, good. <sighs> and, uh, and, and, and how would you respond to Jesus' announcement that he's going to go die? You would probably wouldn't be like, Jesus, that sounds like a really good plan. I totally support this plan. No, you would probably say something like Peter that he says, far be, for, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. It shall never happen to you. Now, why did Peter respond this way? Because just if we back up even more in the story, Jesus was asking his disciples, hey, What are the people around town saying about me? Who are they saying I am? And they say, some say you're you're John the Baptist. Some say you're actually Elijah. Others are saying you're one of the prophets from the Old Testament. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says, that's all fine and good, but who do you say I am? And Peter, he says this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the one our people has been waiting for for generations to deliver us from oppression, to set God's people free. Jesus looks at Peter and basically says, you are right. And upon you, I'm going to build my church. 
Those are, that's some pretty high praise from Jesus to Peter. And with that, Jesus' confession of, of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, comes with some assumptions. When Peter confesses Jesus at the Christ, he has in his mind what many Jewish people had in their mind of what the Messiah was supposed to be. The Messiah was going to come and be a political figure that was going to crush Rome. That they would be coming in on the horse and with a, with a sword and knock out the people that are oppressing God's people. And finally, Israel would have the right place on the throne. They would finally have the power. And that's why G, or Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He's like, no, 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 this isn't what the Messiah is supposed to do. You're, yes, you're supposed to go to Jerusalem, but to crush him, not to die. And then Peter receives these words from his Lord. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Those are harsh words. And we see in this interaction, Peter goes from being praised to rebuked by being called Satan, all in the same interaction with Jesus. And then... This is when our reading for today comes in place. Then, after all of this, Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Knowing that context, this passage has some more depth to it, some more teeth on it. Jesus had just laid out how things were going to go and makes it clear that anyone who wants to follow him to be his disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him. That is what it means to follow Jesus. And this is why it is so difficult to follow Jesus. This is why following Jesus often brings much unease into our life. Because here's the thing, I don't want to deny myself. I don't. I am a millennial. Many of your children are millennials. And, and we grew up in a time saying we were perfect, beautiful butterflies. We could do whatever we want, no matter what. Like my parents, I love them and I have a great relationship with them both. And they were so supportive. I could say, Mom, Dad, I'm going to be an axe murderer. And they say, Honey, you'll be the best axe murderer you could, in the, you'll be the best. You'll out-axe-murder all the axe-murderers. Like, they were just so supportive. And then I became a disciple of Jesus. <laughs> and I started reading passages like this. And as a young, as a teenager, as a young adult, I would come to passages like this and be like, Huh, what do I do with this? All right, Jesus, I know I do some bad things I shouldn't. Maybe that's the cross. Like, I'll stop sinning a little bit less. And, and, but I really just know I'll be forgiven. So I'm actually not really going to stop doing those bad things. But I'll just come to church on Sunday and receive communion. And the pastor will say you're forgiven. And then I'll go about and do the bad things again. And, and I fall into this pattern. But in my spirit, I knew this is not what it actually meant to follow Jesus. And I think most of us, if we're honest, we read 
this teaching of Jesus, and we know we're not faithfully living out this. We are not denying ourselves. How many of you already bought yourself a Christmas present? None? Awesome. Good for you. Good for you. I may have or may not have. I don't know yet. We'll see how Amazon gets here. But we live in a culture that continually talks about self-gratification, doing what's best for you. I make fun of my generation, but it's really just the American culture where we have been told what the good life is, is filling, is just filling every single desire. So what do we do when we come to a teaching like this of Jesus? There's this phenomenon going on, especially in the Western American church among like, um, mainly like middle upper class white Americans of a lot of kids that grew up in church. They faithfully went to youth group. They maybe, maybe even went to a Bible college. And now this thing is happening called deconstruction. Called deconstruction. And this may, I know it's happening. I've had conversations with many of you of your children are going through this process of they're kind of taking everything they grew up to believe about Jesus and, and, um, and the Bible and what it means to be a Christian. And they're deconstructing it piece by piece, doctrine by doctrine, one major church failure after another. And some go through this process and come out the other side more faithful, beautiful followers of Jesus. <coughs> but for many, that is not the case. There's a book um, called Death to Deconstruction, which I've, I've recommended to some of you. And the subtitle is Reclaiming Faithfulness as an Act of Rebellion. Huh. And in this book, he he goes through all the kind of the top reasons of why people, particularly my age, but I'm seeing it across all generations, are deconstructing this faith. And, and he argues, he's a pastor in Portland, a much more progressive city than Austin, and, and is, he's finding, I've seen this true, most people that are walking away from the faith, because the churches are bleeding right now, we are hemorrhaging young people, we just are. And for most people, they are walking away from following Jesus, not because of the church's orthodox view of sexuality, not because the church and American politics have really gotten into bed together in a really unhealthy and kind of disgusting way. Most people are leaving the faith because they read a passage like this from Jesus where he says, deny yourself, and they go, no, I want to do what I want to do. And at one hand, I kind of give them kudos because they're like, I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to follow you, Jesus. But can you blame them? Because we live in a culture, we live in a world, we were raised to believe that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want it, and if we don't get what we want, when we want it, it's not good. So what do we do? For many of us, we also feel this struggle of when we come across a teaching like this of Jesus. And some of you may be thinking, oh, that whole deny thyself and pick up your cross, like that's for the really religious people. That's for the people who are the next level. Like I'll just come to Sunday, 
I'll get a little bit of grape juice and a stale wafer to melt on my tongue. And, and the really religious people, the pastors that we pay, they're the ones that are supposed to deny themselves. The missionaries are going to foreign countries. They're the one. No, no. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, y'all are anyone. Now, I, I am being tongue-in-cheek about some of this, but we have to be honest. What do we do with a teaching like this from Jesus? I want us to look at another character from our scripture readings this afternoon. Mary, the mother of the Christ child. In our, in our first reading, Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, and, and she is told, you are going to be pregnant. She's like, but I'm a virgin. This doesn't happen. And, and he says, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of this. And, and then we see she becomes pregnant with the Christ child. And we look at this and we think this is a beautiful story. And I, I imagine Mary felt the awe and wonder and the fear and the anxiety of, of any woman when she finds out she's pregnant for the first time. But remember, this is in first century Palestine. She's not married. She doesn't have a husband yet. What does that mean for her future? She has to be thinking, how am I going to explain this to Joseph? He has, by our law, the right to have me executed. What do I do with this? And this is what she says. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. Here we have two people. We have Peter and we have Mary. And Peter refuses to accept the will of the Lord that he must die. And here we have Mary who, in one sense, with this pregnancy, almost has a death sentence on her life. And she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. But Jesus says this to Peter, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. My question for us today is how are we going to respond to Jesus' teaching for whoever would save or of, of bearing his cross? Now, I don't know what bearing your cross, what denying yourself looks like for you in your context. But that's what it means to follow Jesus. I don't believe most of us or any of us probably in this room are going to be martyrs for the faith. And I thank Jesus for that. But what is Jesus inviting you to, to deny yourself and pick up your cross? And that can only really be discerned between you and the Lord and in your community. Of your family, your spouse, the, the people you live life with. But here's the good news. As disciples of Jesus, we are followers. We aren't leaders. Jesus has never and will never ask any of his disciples to do or go anywhere that he has not already gone on our behalf. In, this, in the passage from Matthew, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He has already explained he is the one who's going to go before. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die at the hands of the political and religious leaders of the day. And be raised from the dead. 
And Jesus is now leading us to go where he has already gone for us. So when we read this passage, anyone who would come after me, we can say in faith with maybe a little timidity or a little timid and a little scared and say, yes, Lord, I trust you and I will follow you. No matter how scary or unnerving or uncomfortable or how much unease that call may be on our lives. But then Jesus goes on to say, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Our assumptions of the good life in our country is amass more stuff and status and comfort and all these things. And, and Jesus is actually saying, no, 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 no. The things you think that will lead to life are actually going to destroy your soul. But losing your life for his sake, then you will truly find what it means to live. My question for us is, is Jesus saying that actually the best way to live the fullest life is by the way of the cross, is to die? To surrender your own agenda and desires and say, yes, Lord, I'm your servant. In this Advent season, we reflect on Christ's first coming, but we also look forward to his second coming. Again, he has gone before us. He has resurrected. And we know for those who claim him as Lord, we will be resurrected into the new heavens and the new earth. And in between that, the first and second coming, we're in this odd, weird limbo of already but not yet. So for now, we are called to follow him faithfully. To point to the ultimate reality of the resurrection. When he will come and make all things New And in that time, in this season of Advent, maybe our prayer should be, Lord, make my desires your, your, make your desires my desires. Here's my agenda with open hands. It is yours. I lay it before you. And as you commune with the living God who is the Christ, by spending time in the scriptures, to be in fellowship with the community, to sit with him in silence. He has this amazing way of changing the desires of our heart to match his. To be like Mary. Say, here I am, Lord, I'm your servant. Even if in the back of our head we're going, I don't know about this, but just to say, yes, Lord. To end our time together, there's a quote from a commentator that I think summarizes this well. The point is to relinquish control from the beginning and eat in each day that a disciple lives. To take up the cross begins when disciples acknowledge that discipleship will entail hardship precisely because that is God's way of reigning in a rebellious world, not paying back evil with evil, but evil with good. this Advent season, Jesus is saying, for all who want to come after me, deny thyself and pick up your cross and follow me. Forever, whoever loses his life for my sake will find true life. So friends, I invite you to follow Jesus. Many of you have been following him faithfully for generations, and I applaud you and, and keep showing 
my generation how to do that well, no matter how uneasy or difficult it is. Father, Son, and Spirit, I thank you for the scriptures, and I thank you that you, Jesus, have called us to follow you. Inspire us, empower us to follow you faithfully in all that we do. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.